0: This morning, we are shifting our attention uh, with a kind of a new sermon series um, that I'll tell you what it's about in just a a bit. But if you've ever been to a funeral, it's very likely that you've heard someone give a eulogy. Now, um, when someone gives a eulogy, their particular task is um, is to give thanks for the person who has gone on to glory. The very word eulogy comes from a Greek word eulogeo, which means to give thanks for. And so on a funeral, the the pastor, or whoever is offering up the remarks, is supposed to give thanks for the ways in which um, Jesus' life was displayed in the life of the person who is deceased. Now, um, this month, we are going to eulogio during Black History Month. It's going to be during this month that we're going to give God thanks and praise for um, the resilient voices of black people um, Those who are among us and those who have gone on before us and specifically we're going to talk about um, resilience as it's been displayed within um, Black communities now you might be thinking now Lisa. What does this have to do? with anything I'm gonna tell you first. I want to just share with you what the definition of Uh, or how we might understand resilience over the next couple of weeks. In psychology today, they use this particular definition to talk about what resilience is. That resilience is that ineffable quality that allows some people to be knocked knocked down by life and come back at least as strong as before. Now, um, we, we invite every person who is a worshiper here at the Southeast Raleigh table to take what is called the phase one workshop of the Racial um, Equity Institute. It, it, is a, it is a workshop over the course of two days that helps to locate us within, um, within a, a historical narrative of, of how it is that our country uh, created this racial construct and also a racial oppression. So um, during the um, the Racial Equity Institute's phase one workshop There is this moment. I'm not going to give too much away There is this moment where people are asked um, to share what's one thing that they like about however they identify racially and over and over again whether I'm a participant or I'm an alumni of this phase one workshop Black folks in the room will say this. I love our resilience There has not been one time that I have gone through REI, and I think I've now gone through REI five times, where I have not heard someone say, I love, out of our particular cultural context, our resilience. This ability to get knocked down by life and to get back up at least as strong as before. And over and over again, it's a gift to hear um, that in the midst of sometimes feeling like life has robbed people of an opportunity to flourish, that we still see ourselves as people of breakthrough. Maya Angelou, who I've already quoted once, I'm going to quote her again, she says this, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. There's something about, about being the, the, the get-back-up kid, the breakthrough kid, the I-will-not-stay-down-in-my-tomb kind of, kind of person. And you know what, Um, so not to make this about a a golden calf where we're going to worship people, but throughout scripture, there are lots of characters who remind us of the beauty of resilience that folks find um, in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And so that's where we're going to locate ourselves over the course of um, these four weeks in February. That in hearing the stories of these characters, as you are watching Google's viral video... (laughs) as you are keeping up with what's happening on Instagram, as you're even hearing stories of people during Black History Month, that you might begin to like make these connections with even individuals in Scripture who so wed themselves to a living God that it might help you to also understand the stories of those who felt like Meshach, Shadrach, Abednego in a fiery furnace, or people who sometimes felt like they were also journeying through the wilderness for way too long, but, but waiting for God's manna, To bring provision. So this morning we are going to hear about a woman who suffered with um, a hemorrhage for 12 years from Luke's gospel in the eighth chapter, beginning with the 40th verse. Now, one thing I want to say about this particular passage of scripture is that I'm not going to like do too many tricks and turns in my sermon about this particular passage, but this is one of those passages of scripture that I could possibly preach for about 50, 11 weeks, and still find something new to tell you. So if you're like, oh, my gosh, why didn't Lisa talk about this? Or why didn't Lisa talk about this? Or why didn't Lisa talk about that? Just slide into my DMs. Tell me what you wanted me to talk about. And on another day when we have more time, I will preach another dimension of this particular um, passage of Scripture. But for now, we're sticking to about one point. So hear now these words in Luke chapter 8, beginning with the 40th verse. And it says this. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And just then, there came a man named Jairus, a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. As he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, No one could cure her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. When the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any longer. When Jesus heard this, he replied, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be saved. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. And will you pray with me? God, we give you thanks for the power of your word, and we give you thanks for the power of this moment. And we ask, oh God, that you would speak to us because your servants are listening. We want to hear a word, O oh God, today that might give us life. We want to hear a word, O oh God, that might make us resilient. We want to hear a word, O oh God, that might remind us that you are a living God and that your words are also alive and they can be made alive in us. So would you take these words away from me and breathe upon them that they might become the words for your people who you love. May we listen and feast with joy. We pray all this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You know, um, about two weeks ago, I had the opportunity to do the keynote for the MLK breakfast, and because you know they wanted to make sure that I showed up on time, I actually stayed at the hotel where the um, event was happening, And what was so crazy is that at 5 o'clock in the morning, people were already awake and dressed, with their faces beat and looking good, already getting their breakfast because they wanted to make sure that they got in front of the crowds. Now, I'm a person who loves being around lots of people, but I recognize that there are times when being around lots of people can be um, difficult. For instance, during the Christmas season, Cameron Village is a no-no for me. Crabtree Valley Mall is a no-no for me because there are so many crowds and I don't want to have to drive around for 40 minutes trying to find a parking space for my small golf cart of a car. Now, um, interestingly enough, whereas like mall shopping crowds I don't like, whereas holiday shopping crowds I don't like, I do not mind when there are crowds when it comes to parties. In fact, the more the merrier when it comes to parties. But there uh, has come a day in my life when even the crowds of a party are too much for me. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a party for someone who had turned 45. And it was gonna be the litest party on all of this side of Raleigh. And there was a point when I said, I can barely do my stinky leg. My stinky leg can't be stink enough in this place because there's so many people I need to go home. I don't mind crowds until I 'm in crowds, and I recognize that every single person in that crowd is trying or living as though um, every person for themselves. When people don't care that I 'm five feet tall and I can't see what 's in front of me, that's when you know the crowds become really difficult. When I can 't move from this point A to point B, that 's when crowds become really difficult. And Luke. The writer Luke in this gospel actually wants us to see something pretty remarkable by the ways in which he talks about crowds. You might notice that in this small little 10 uh, passages, in this kind of 10 uh, verses that I've read, crowds, the word crowd or the crowds comes up about three times. Now in the whole chapter um, of Luke uh, chapter 8, crowds keep on being brought up. And Luke wants you to understand crowds as, uh, as actually kind of a, an obstacle or an impediment to having access to Jesus. You, you've got to know that this, this crowd plays a significant part in the life and the landscape of this woman who has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. That she didn't just saunter up to Jesus. That she didn't, like, beep him ahead of time and create an appointment to get into his calendar. It says that when Jesus has returned to this particular place, that a crowd had welcomed him. But somehow, Jairus, who's the leader of the synagogue, finds his way to Jesus. So... Um, Jesus begins to walk with Jairus because Jairus' daughter is at the point of death. And then it says that there's this woman who begins to press in on Jesus as the crowds press in on uh, Jesus. And when this woman um, finds her way and touches the fringe of Jesus' uh, garment, uh, Jesus says, gosh, power has come out of me. And, and then Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, says, master, you might, um, you might be having some, uh, some, some illusions or some delusions because, uh, Master, the crowds are pressing in on you. How can you tell that somebody has touched you? Everybody is touching you. But no, no Jesus is like, no, 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 something, ha- something has happened. And, and then in the scene, this woman who is now in the midst of the crowd who is trembling because of the way that she stole her healing from Jesus, then begins to explain what happened and how it is that she was immediately healed. Crowds represent something. Because also, too, after this woman is immediately healed, it says that then someone from the leader's house somehow finds his way to Jesus and tells Jairus that your daughter um, is dead. Don't bother the master. I want you to see the juxtaposition in this particular passage of scripture. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, we know his name, we know his position, we know his power, goes up to Jesus and basically asks for a house call. The leader, uh, who is also attached to Jairus, who comes from Jairus' house, somehow in the midst of a very large crowd finds his way and says, Jesus, don't worry, Jairus' daughter is already dead. I wonder, friends, you know, whenever I come down, I'm about to say something. I wonder, friends, if when Jairus was walking, People are like, oh, oh, get out of the way. Jairus is coming. Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, let him let him come through. And then, okay, this person who's a representative from Jairus' house, oh gosh, he 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 knows he knows Jairus. Come on, go ahead and let him come through. But this woman, this woman who has been leading for 12 years, has to steal her healing. People did not make a way for her. But they should have. This woman had suffered a condition for over a decade. I want you to think about that. For some of you who have a middle school student right now, that for, for the span of your child's life, that's how long this woman had had this particular condition. And, and if it's uh, hard enough to wrap your mind around having a, a, a chronic illness for, for 12 years, you need to also recognize that the particular kind of illness that she had over the course of 12 years would have actually been a life-draining condition, that she would not have been filled with lots of energy to try to make her way through the crowds and pushing people who are also trying to get access to Jesus. And then if you can wrap your mind around the fact that she's had this condition for 12 years, that her condition is a life-draining condition, that it's also a condition that would put her outside of her community. To have always been bleeding, I know it sounds so gory, would have made her unclean, which means that over the course of the 12 years that she's had this life-draining condition, she has also had to have this condition alone. For when individuals had a particular infirmity that. Kept them unclean. They had to literally scream, unclean, unclean, so that people would understand what it was, what brokenness that they were carrying in their bodies. We don't know her name, we just know her condition, but we know Jairus's name. But she somehow pushes through, having spent all the money she has and going to all the doctors who could not cure her and being isolated from community and feeling life-drained when she should be feeling life-giving life. And she is able to gain her healing from the one who is healing himself. no one made a way for her no one made a way for she had to steal her healing now you know um i don't resent the crowds because oftentimes uh, whenever crowds are are talked about especially in jesus's earthly ministry There are people in those crowds who are trying to gain access to Jesus to hear what Jesus is going to say. Or or they're trying to gain access to Jesus because they they want to see what the kingdom of heaven actually looks like with their own eyes. Or or they want to gain access to Jesus because they have heard throughout the countryside what Jesus is able to do with people. And they want to see what it is to be touched by the master so that their lives can be made more of and not less of. And there are even times in the midst of the crowds that people, they want healing for the people around them so much that they'll even lower their friends down to Jesus or they'll push through the crowd so that somebody else might know what it is to have healing. There's nothing wrong with these crowds because um, the crowds pressed in because they knew what Jesus could do for them. And this nameless woman, only known by her condition, She wants that, too. I actually see this woman as a reflection of gracious resilience and not one of a selfish act. I know everybody else. Jairus is like, I need you to come to my house. Actually, I'm not bringing my kid out here. But when this woman steals her healing, you know, actually maybe we shouldn't even say steals her healing. Uh, um, when this woman gets what she, what she deserved from the get-go, to know what it is to be made whole. It wasn't a selfish act, but I believe that it was actually a gracious act of resilience displayed for Jairus. She was a gift to Jairus. Now, I want you to know this. Um, Jairus, go, when he comes to Jesus, he basically... Um, It asks for for something special. It's this woman who interrupts Jesus on the way. So Jairus could have been like, uh, lady, you don't have this cell phone number like I have his cell phone number. I need you to keep it moving because my daughter is at the point of death. But Jesus stops what he is doing to make sure that all those who were gathered around him pressing in might hear the testimony of this woman who stole her healing. Even quieted Peter. Peter, no, I know what just happened to me. And as all of this is going on, I wonder if Jairus is like, come on, Jesus, you've got to hurry. Like, can you do this thing real quick and have this conversation real quick? And, ma'am, can you keep it moving? And in the midst of all of this happening, then this person comes from Jairus' house and says, you know what, don't even worry about it, your child's already dead. But then Jesus turns to Jairus and says, Jairus, do not fear, only believe, your child will be saved. There is something about this particular passage that I absolutely love is that I believe that if it had not been for the woman who had stolen her healing, that Jairus might have actually believed the person who came from his house more so than what Jesus had to say. But Jairus had seen with his own eyes what happened to a woman who had to steal her healing, and Jairus is thinking, and this man's going to come and do a house call for me? If he could heal this woman without, without even without even knowing exactly who it was because she just brushed her hand on the bottom of the hem of his garment and he was willing to walk to my house? Oh, I I saw what Jesus did for her. I might believe what Jesus can do for me. Jairus might have needed to see with his own eyes what a resilient act looked like. 12th year, life draining, no friends, not named, gets healing. Then maybe the same could be true for me. You know, I would hope that during this month you would not romanticize people's pain. You know, when I watch John Lewis, um, the footage of him walking over the Edmund Pettus Bridge and being beaten down, I mean, like, beaten down like he was a dog. Let us not romanticize that pain, but let us also recognize how it was that John Lewis got back up. I mean, bloodied. And it might be in those moments, in that gracious act of resilience, that we might come home to our own humanity. Or maybe as we go through this month, we might recognize how we can sometimes be like a gyrus in this world. When we whip out our insurance card, when we need to go to the doctor, and we watch somebody else in the waiting room literally having to plead to be seen. Then we might ask ourselves, do I sometimes block the way or do I make way? Or when I have, I mean, just walking down the street because my, my voting center is just right around the corner and not one person comes out to threaten me as I go to vote, that I would not take it for granted. That this might be a month that we actually draw near to each other's stories and we might see something miraculous and resilient in these stories. So we don't have to romanticize those who've had to steal the healing. But that if we're in the crowd, we might ask ourselves, how can I make a way? Or how can I recognize how it is that some people have to push in order to touch the fringe? We might be changed by our situations, but by the grace of God, we will not be reduced By them. Might we keep our eyes open to see one another in the crowds? Will you pray with me? God, sometimes these very simple stories are so profound because they may speak so clearly to where we are in our own lives. There might be someone, even in the sound of my voice, oh God, who feels like they always have to push and to press and to scrap and to scrape to get anything. God, in the ways that I know that you turn your attention, to those individuals, God, might you also help to turn our attention that we might also see. God, sometimes we can feel so convicted because we just walk around with our, our shoulders and our heads held high, believing that everything just is just our, is our right. But forgetting that when we push our way, we sometimes push people over. So God, might we watch the ways in which you make space? How it is that you expand time? How you stretch moments? How you extend yourself for the sake of those around? God, may we not romanticize when others are going through difficult moments, and God, may we not become too settled when we are also going through difficult moments. But might we recognize and honor the strength and the courage and the resilience that your created have, that when they know that there is something good in you, something good that you can give, Something that is for our flourishing. That you are a God who wants all to have those good gifts. So, Lord, this this month we keep our eyes open and our lives open to draw near to each other's stories so that we can really see. So would you hold our prayers and hold us? in your strong hands, that we might be changed. You, O God, who makes a way out of no way, change us. This we pray in your good and glorious name. Amen.